Uh, we start a new series today called The Secret to Contentment. One of the secrets to contentment is found in our title, Stop Chasing the Wind. Imagine, if you will, if you went outside one day and your neighbor has a butterfly net and he or she, they're just running around their yard, swinging in the air. And you stop them and you say, well, what are you doing? I'm trying to catch some wind. You go back home. You don't say anything else. You go back home. And the very next day, you go to Menards. You buy enough wood to build a fence between you and your neighbor. Because you know there's probably a straight jacket needed and maybe some institutionalization that takes place with someone that's running around the neighborhood with a butterfly net trying to catch the wind. It sounds ridiculous, right? Hang on to that because of what we see in Ecclesiastes. So that's where we're going to be, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'm the setup guy for the next six weeks. There's going to be some tough stuff that we're going to talk about today, but it's the truth. You might be asking, why Ecclesiastes? Even, even if you're kind of new to Christianity or you're kind of new to the Bible, it's very possible that you know that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon, and it is a dark, depressing book. And in some cases, you could even say it's meaningless because that's the very theme of Ecclesiastes. Why would any pastor, why would any team of elders want to be in the book of Ecclesiastes on a Sunday morning? I don't know why. (laughs) Except that in Acts, we are told by Luke that we are to preach or to teach the whole counsel of God, which includes the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes has a lot to say about our contentedness. The theme is meaningless. It's dark. If, if, if you did nothing else but just read through Ecclesiastes, by the time you get to the end of it, you would probably be thinking, this is just some kind of memoir of some hedonistic leader. His name is Solomon. Solomon was the most powerful. He was the most wise. He He led hard, he studied harder, and he partied the hardest. He broke several commandments for kings that God laid down just in Deuteronomy 17 alone. Solomon broke so many of them. Solomon had 700 wives. Why? 700 wives, 300 porcupines. Concubines. Always been one of my favorite jokes. 700 wives, 300 concubines. Look up the definition of that. He partied hard. He didn't deny himself anything that he wanted. And consequently, he ruined his kingdom. He didn't deny himself anything. He gave himself everything. And it led to this life of discontentment. Um, I think this is just about a week ago. Sometimes my weeks run together. But I think about a week ago, I sat down with um, one of our past elders, Harold Davis. And we were talking about this idea of contentment and stuff. And and he, he gave me a, a quote that's in a question, and he said, you've heard this, haven't you? How much money is enough? And the answer to that is just a little bit more. 
How much money is enough? Just a little bit more. More money, more pleasure, more success, then I'll be content. And Ecclesiastes is the sum total of a life that is viewed by uh, or through the lens of human interaction. So as we read through the beginning of this, think about it from the perspective of there is no God. Or that God has very little meaning Or that Jesus Christ doesn't exist. On a merely human level, we read Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we would find ourselves totally agreeing with King Solomon. If we had a lens of looking at this life as if it was designed by human beings or from a human perspective, we would see... In fact, Solomon's going to prove that when we cater to our own selfish pursuits and we live lives of discontentedness, we'll only become more miserable. So I want to give you a warning to start off this morning. When we are lured away by our discontentedness, when we're lured away by our discontentedness, the pull will be stronger than the realization of our consequences. What does that mean? It means that we are so easily enticed and so easily entangled in our sin that we will minimize its consequences because of how we want to feel. When we're lured away by our own discontentedness, the pull will be stronger than the realization of its consequences when we have the wrong perspective, when we justify our thoughts and our feelings and then change or move them into action, we minimize our discontentedness and the consequences that come from it. Solomon's gonna expose the lies about life. Our world is constantly and consistently telling us what to expect out of this life. I remember a commercial so many years ago that it was a cosmetic commercial and it had this gal in a, in a chair and she just spun herself around and she says, I use L'Oreal because I'm worth it. This world is constantly telling us what to expect about or what to expect out of this life. And then at the very least, it gets us to buy into it. And at the worst, it gets us to buy all of it. So let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, this very dark and depressing book. Okay, let's take a look at it. Verse Chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the preacher or the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. We know that Solomon, he's the only son of David that was the king in Jerusalem. So he is the one writing this down or having it written down. And he says this, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vain or all is meaningless. What does man gain by the toil? What does man, what what advantage is there to man? What profit is there for man by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Vanity of vanities, your translation, translation may be using the word meaningless. What Solomon is saying, if our lens of how we view this life is merely from a human perspective, this life is meaningful, meaningless, as meaningless as humanly possible. 
That word vanity or that word vain can be translated into, word, into the word breath or into the word mist or into the word vapor. And maybe that sounds really familiar because James chapter 4 verse 14 says this, this life is nothing more than a mist, a vapor. He's absolutely right. And merely from a human perspective, we could think that it's vain. In fact, that word vain or vapor or breath or wisp often is used when referring to idols, meaning that idols don't last. We're chasing after them. And when we chase after things, it's like chasing after the wind because it's meaningless. The lesson here is that whatever you try to build your life on, if it's anything other than Jesus, it will only lead to discontentment. That's the lesson today. If we're building our life on anything else other than Jesus, it's only going to lead to more discontentment. Because Jesus had a similar question to what Solomon is saying here. What does, it, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Jesus asked a similar question in Mark eight thirty six. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's not a rhetorical question. Jesus expects us to answer that question. What do you have to gain if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? There's an answer to that. It's not rhetorical. The answer is nothing. You gain nothing if you gain everything in this world. And in that, you give away your soul. It's important that we interpret the Bible literally and little rarely. I hate saying that. Uh, if you've been in our leadership development course, there's been, there was a session, an entire two-hour uh, uh, lesson on studying the Bible literally and literarily. When we say literal, when we say that second word. We look at what Solomon is doing here, and Solomon is speaking poetically. And so we read it poetically, and we learn, we figure out what is he saying to us poetically. So I just want to work through this this morning and give a few lessons along the way, reading his poetry as he waxes eloquently. Uh, in this vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of all vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain? By all the toil at which he toils under the sun. And he says this. Generation goes and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises. The sun goes down. And hastens to the place where it raises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. Let's start with this statement. If you and I, from a human's perspective, have no purpose in this life, we will have no contentment. No purpose equals no contentment. Look at what he has said here in verses four through six. Solomon mentions just the cycles of the earth. And he says, people come and go. The sun rises and sets, then hastens to rise again. That means then hurries itself to rise again. Just happens day in and day out. And, and, and it's monotony. 
right? He's speaking to the monotony of life. We have a a really cool uh, phrase for that. We call it the rat race, okay? This is what he's talking about here. Generations have come and generations have gone. The sun rises, the sun sets. And we know that these verses, verse six, the wind blows to the south, goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind. We live in Illinois. We know this is true, that the wind blows. And if the wind stops in the summer, we have 99% humidity to remind us that we actually don't mind the breeze, so it knocks down the humidity. We live in that. We, we can look at this and go, oh, he's absolutely right. But without a perspective of God, all this is empty and it reeks of discontent. Because we could look at this life and say, people come and go. The sun's just going to rise. The sun's going to set. The sun's going to rise. The wind's going to blow and do whatever. it will do whatever it wants. And if there's no perspective of God, it'll be empty. But God is in control. And God is a God of order. God is a God of design. And we unknowingly, sometimes we forget that in each moment of every single day, we are actually trusting God. If you woke up this morning and you're still breathing, you trusted God today. Whether we realize it or not. If you drove here safely in a vehicle that in the underneath part of it, there's gasoline that if it met up with a spark in the front, you're you're driving in a bomb to church and you trusted God to get here today. Let me just read a couple of texts. They'll, They'll be on the screen. A reminder of the trust that we put in God. Nehemiah chapter nine, verse six. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth, all that is on it, the seas, all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. Isaiah chapter 66. You'll get there faster because it's on the screen. Verse two. Let me back up. I want to read verse one and, and, and connect it obviously with verse two. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. The earth is merely my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things, my hand, Has made. He is the creator. And so all things came to be, declares the Lord. What's our perspective? Out of Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for. You created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. Paul says of Jesus, in him all things hold together. 
Solomon's not done going down his wormhole. It gets a little bit worse. Verse, verses 7 and 8. All things are full of weariness. He's diving in a little bit deeper. If all we have is a human perspective without God, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. Can we just stop there for a moment in the day and age of technology and privacy where nobody else can see what we're seeing? Could we please cry out the Psalm of David where he says, I will not put any unclean thing before my eyes. We're in this place of desensitized, falling apart in our culture today that we can't get enough in our eye socket. We are not satisfied with seeing. I want more. Nor the ear filled with hearing. I want more. Generations have come and gone. The sun rises and sets and now the streams run and they never fill up the oceans. You can't get enough. What is he saying? Poetically, he's saying that there's this insatiable desire for more and an inability to be satisfied and content with what he gives us because he has promised to supply every one of our needs. But we have this insatiable desire. I want more. I can't say enough. I can't see enough. I can't speak enough. I can't hear enough. I can't get no. Thank you so much. (laughs) I looked this up. Those guys are still on tour. They're still alive. (laughs) With all the stuff they've done in their lives, they are still alive and still can't get no satisfaction. I've never listened to that entire song completely until this week. This, I Can't Get No Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones could have been Solomon's theme song. He could have listened to it. I really do encourage you to look at the lyrics and listen to it. He can't get satisfaction. People aren't listening to them. He doesn't understand what he's hearing. He can't see the future. He can't even get the ladies. This is Solomon's theme song. He partied hard. He gave himself to everything. We have this insatiable desire for more. And Solomon's saying the cycle never ends. We keep thinking, if I can just get there, if I can just get over there, I'll be satisfied, I'll be happy, I'll be living the American dream, only to find out that once we get there, it's not any different than where we were. Because we've been unsatisfied. The discontentment isn't in the thing. The discontentment isn't in the pleasure. The discontentment isn't in the work. It isn't in the job. It isn't in the marriage. It's in me. He keeps going further down into the trenches. Verse 9. What has been is what will be. I have a different phrase today. It is what it is. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new on the sun. Completely and totally exasperated by the human perspective. Is there a thing of which is said, see, this is new. (laughs) This is new. It's already been in the ages before us. 
There's no remembrance of former things. That's important. (laughs) There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Solomon continues to dig deep and wide and says that each generation may think it has something unique and new, but Solomon declares that nothing is really new. Each generation that comes think they're now figuring out how to live life better than the generation before them. And Solomon says, you don't even remember that generation. How many of you know the name of your great, great, great grandfather and grandmother? There may be a few of you. Past generations don't get remembered. What's he saying poetically here? He's afraid. Solomon is afraid of one thing. I'll never be remembered. In our human perspective of discontentment, at the very core of that, very deeply, is we're afraid. We're afraid we're never gonna be remembered. Or if we are, we're going to be remembered for a generation. And humanly speaking, that can lead us to this place of meaninglessness. Verse 12, I the preacher, I've been king over Israel and Jerusalem. Notice the word I in here in these next several verses. I the preacher have been king over Israel and Jerusalem and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with this life What a waste. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vapor. And here it is, chasing after the wind. We thought it would be so ridiculous to see a neighbor chasing after the wind. And yet when all we have in this life is a human perspective to get to the next day, to get to the next day, or to live this long life so I can spend this little bit of time in retirement and joy, and watch it vaporize away into nothingness. You and I are chasing after the wind. Solomon's saying, listen to me. I've tried it all. I'm I'm wiser than anyone. I've partied harder than anyone. Try it all. I've tried it all. It's like catching the wind. And you say, what does that look like? Maybe you spent your time begging for a spouse and God gave you a spouse. Maybe you spent your time, the next thing you did is, we want children. You start begging for children. God gave you children. I need a a job that gets me $50,000, $60,000, $70,000 a year. And you get to that space and you have all of those things that God has granted to you and you still find yourself in a place of discontentment because you want what? More. We want more. Dr. Daniel Akin, a great professor uh, in a seminary, said this, the American dream is a lie and a failure. We live in a culture with more money, more entertainment, more pleasurable experiences, more recreation, and more stuff than any previous generations could ever have dreamed. And some of our staff this week sat in on a seminar, about a two-hour seminar, 
where we heard this alarming statistic that suicide is at its highest rate in the United States as it has ever been. We have more stuff, more entertainment, more pleasurable experiences. If I could just get there, maybe I will experience the American dream only to find out that it's not the stuff, it's my own discontentment. We've, there's no hope. There's no hope if all we're doing is living for this day, this moment, for me, for my wants, for my desires, so that I can get more. And if that's the human perspective, it's meaningless. Ecclesiastes is absolutely a dark and bleak book about life. But the Holy Spirit has it in our Bibles so that you and I would learn that life has a deeper purpose and a deeper meaning. And we're not looking at this life from a human perspective. The Holy Spirit has this written here so that it exposes the emptiness and the absurdity of chasing after the wind, something better or something more. When Jesus is not included in the equation, and Ecclesiastes should create within us a hunger and a thirst and a desire for something better. Who wants to live their life like Solomon lived their life? Who experienced everything, this Christian, hedonistic, I want more, I need more. Who wants to live their life like that only to get to the end of your life and go, well, that was meaningless? You'll do that if there's no purpose. You'll do that if there is no focus. Would you do me a favor and turn to chapter 12? Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I love this. This book is really, really dark until you get to the very end here. And since I'm the one setting it up and, and I know what the other guys are going to be preaching on, I'm just going to skip to the end of the book and give you some really good news from this, okay? So I get to do that because I'm the first teacher. And so uh, I don't know if any of them inside their text were going to look at chapter 12, but I'm going to look at it first, okay? Chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. And when we get to that text, don't, don't read ahead yet, because when you get to that text, at the beginning I said, if you, if you don't have purpose, if you, don't, if you have no purpose, you'll not have any contentment. But if you know your purpose, you'll know contentment. And Solomon's going to teach that to us. Chapter 12, verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads or prods. Uh, New Living Translation, if I remember correctly, uses the phrase cattle prod, okay? Those are uncomfortable but effective. That's, that's what that means, Okay? The words of the wise that have been written in Proverbs, the words of truth in verse 10, those words are like prods. They're, they hurt, but they're meant to convict. And like nails firmly fixed are collected sayings. These are unchanging truths. Look at what he says next. They are given by one shepherd. This is amazing. The word shepherd there is capitalized. Who is Solomon talking about? He's talking about Jesus. 
because the time in our scriptures when the shepherd is capitalized every single time, it's the Messiah. So before Jesus has even come, Solomon says, without a vertical perspective, this life is meaningless. But when our eyes are fixed on our shepherd, life gives us all the meaning we need. Because Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. This is what he says. It's a messianic book that points to the Messiah. Life without Jesus would be just a series of discontented decisions of futility. The purpose of Solomon's word are to drive us to the cross. They're to drive us to Jesus. And so he continues by saying this, My son, be aware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is the weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter is this, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments. There's your purpose. Eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. If your life has no purpose, you'll have no contentment. But if your life's purpose is to know Jesus and to make him known, you will know contentment. 